Morning, church family. Rise and shine. Beautiful day. Hey, if you're here for the first time, we do welcome you. And those online, we welcome you uh, here this morning to study God's Word together. If you noticed, and if you didn't, that's fine too, but notice the grass is growing underneath all that uh, hay there with the new grass, and it's looking good. I mean, amazing. That was only, what, two weeks since we put that new grass and leveled that out in the, in the sidewalk, and grass is already growing, which is beautiful. And then yesterday, we did some, in the heat of the, the battle yesterday, you saw along on your parking, we got rid of all those, you know, uneven sidewalks and along the fence line. So you notice the stone is now allowing you to get closer to the, the fence, just don't hit the fence. And then, but on this side, you can get closer to the rope that uh, Gary put up for you to let you know you can touch the rope. You get closer. That would give us a little more space between cars out there in the parking lot, especially for you guys who have big trucks, you know. That's in the back. You can park those in the back wherever you want to. And then if you go back to, you'll notice we're getting closer to the new parking lot in the back, Lord willing. So keep praying for that, uh, that work there because two houses have to come down. And so you can imagine all the, con- all the sequence of events and to get that new parking lot in before too long. Anyway, enough of more announcements, right? Please stand. Let's do a scripture reading together. And you're going to read with me out loud. We find it in Romans chapter 8, verse 37 through 39. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father, we just again thank you as we open up your word. May this scripture meditate in our minds and etch in our minds, Lord. We see in your scriptures very clearly. There is nothing that can keep us, hold us, or pull us, Lord, from your love. You love us and you love us so dearly. And you even showed that before we even loved you, Lord. You went to the cross and died for us to show your love, to send your son for us. What what amazing love. May we believe that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Revelation. Revelation. We have seen in Revelation chapter 1 verse 11, Christ sent a message to each of the seven local churches there in Asian Minor. You should see a slide here kind of depicting where those churches lie within the western part of modern day Turkey today. These are real churches. These are real places. This is, this is where history we get to learn from, but also this history now as the word of God has given to us even today speaks to our hearts 
not only as a church body, but also to us individually. We see that we must remember that the first three chapters of the book of Revelation deal with the present church age. Chapter 1 was all about the lordship of Christ. It's always about Christ. It's never about me and is never about you. And it's never about an organization, even called Calvary Chapel. We just happen to call it that. A place we call Calvary Chapel North Country, a place where God's people get to come and gather. Thank God he's provided a building for us to do that. Can you imagine being in the middle of 20 below zero trying to find a place to, to gather? Or in the heat of the day. We're thankful, aren't we? We're grateful for God's provision. Now we turn our focus in chapters 2 and 3 on Jesus' letters to the churches. The seven churches in Asia Minor appear as a lampstand, as we saw in chapter 1, arranged for the key purpose of the church. And, then, and we will see that they, it was, it's this current age that we will see also a shining light into the darkness of this world at that point in time and still even today. Jesus Christ is pictured standing in the middle of these lampstands, the churches. We see that at the end of chapter 1, what lampstands stand for. And as the one who sees, the one who knows all things, everything is happening in and to these churches. He sees everything. Everything that is happening in this church body, he sees and knows. And we want him in complete control. Did you, did you hear what I said? I don't want control. I just want to do my part that God's called me to do. You, you know me when it came to worship. I really wasn't called to, to, to lead people to worship. I love to worship, but I don't. I, thank God he raised up Mark and the music team to help us lead in the worship. We wouldn't need instruments. We, our God already gave us instruments. To be able to lift our voices to the one we love. The order of the churches is noted here in 2 and 3 from a geographical perspective. You always pay attention to the details. Why did God give us these seven churches in the sequence you have? To visually, I think that's the reason. Because if you look at that, the messenger here would naturally start in Ephesus. And it was in that major city of Asian Minor called Ephesus where they would start from there. And from there, all the smaller churches were birthed from. And we can see that Paul started that church there in Ephesus and all the churches that sprung from there, if you just go up 35 miles north of the seaport, you will notice you'll get to Smyrna. You continue to proceed farther north into the east a little bit, you get to Pergamos. You get then you keep coming down, you swing it to the east, to the to the south, you get to Thyatira. That's just in chapter two. The other three churches that will be mentioned in just chapter three. But these seven churches were handpicked by God and providentially arranged to bring to what? To light what the churches, each churches were facing at that time. What were they facing? God was revealing and describing their spiritual state. 
See, God is watches over each church and says, what is your spiritual state? He looks at your life and he says, what is your spiritual state today? And he's going to talk through the beautiful things that are going on in that church, but also one important warning and rebuke. And it speaks to all of our hearts today. And I'm speaking to my own heart. This, 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 this teaching is really speaking to my heart. He's been, he's, been, he's been molding and shaping me a lot this week. So I, I've been pondering. I've, I, I know all of you have read ahead. I know. I know all of you have studied the first seven verses. I know. I know you're already. You're just waiting to see what the Lord is going to add into what he's already shown you. But he has already been wrestling with this. Where my heart is. What is my state? Spiritual state with him. Because as we look at the contents of these letters and analyze them, it is clear they are first messages to this historical local churches in the first century. That's a guarantee. They were written to those churches. Second thing is, is that it also shines light, a message to, the, to similar churches today. Thirdly, it's individual exhortations to persons or groups in those churches, but also to you and I as individuals today. So you can't just say, oh, it only pertains to them. It's only historical. It doesn't really matter today. That is blasphemy. That is, that is just, that's the heretical things that are going on in the churches today. They don't want to look and be looked at their spiritual state, so they ignore these things. Not us. No, no, no. We go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, because we want the full counsel of God for our lives. Amen? Amen. Jesus' letters have seven components of each of these letters. These are seven churches that have similar patterns of what he wants to highlight. What are those? The first one, when we see each of these, and we're going to take each of the churches separately. That's seven weeks. So, I, Lord willing, you... You know, unless the Lord raptures us out of here, which is amen at that as well. We see there's a commission, there's a, an address to the, a particular congregation. Today we'll see Ephesus. Then we see the second is the character, an introduction of Jesus, bringing Jesus in a regarding to that because it's the foundation of every single church. And here we will see he's talking about the lampstands as an introduction, a description of who he is. He pulls that from chapter 1 and applies it to each of these churches. Maybe many did not catch that. Then there's a commendation or a, a highlight, a a gold star moments for them a statement regarding the good condition of the church that he highlights oh gold star you guys you're on track man you're you're doing exactly what i'm asking you to do but then there's also a condemnation or a rebuke from jesus regarding the condition of the church and he highlights that as well in regards to don't 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 ignore this i know you're doing a lot of good things but do not ignore the one thing and we'll see that. That's a very serious note here today in this church. We see the fifth one, which is the correction. Because he not only does God highlights to us what it is that needs to change, but he, then he says, that must change and let me help you. I'm going to show you how to change. Because I'm going to help you. I'm going to empower you to do that if you choose to follow me. 
See, it's that command to change from Jesus is, has to happen in the church body today and the people and the lives of you and me. And then there's this call, this general exhortation to all the Christian churches and to all of us, and it's identical for all seven of the churches. And you'll notice that as we go through them. And finally, a challenge, a promise. If you, if you will change, if you desire to change and follow him, that promise of reward will be continued to will just be poured out into your lives if you continue to abide in Jesus. If you abide, will you choose him? See, it had been 65 years, two generations since Pentecost, the birth, the birthday of the church. 65 years have passed. When you put it in that perspective, you, you think it's been hundreds of years. Of that. No, no. 65 years since the start of the church. Only two generations. The church everywhere has seen tremendous growth in these 65 years. There was an explosion. There were the, the apostles, those 12, and then adding of the Paul. And just, it, the, the, they were on fire of evangelizing the, well, the known world to both to the Gentiles and to the Jews. We're up into the Gentile world here in that modern-day uh, Turkey of that time. Asian Minor, that was, that was Gentile world here we're talking about. These were, they were worshiping multi-gods. They were worshiping no gods. They were worshiping themselves. They were doing some really, really, really dark things in their life. So it's not like they came from a good Jewish family, you know. They were heathens like most of us. When we met Jesus. And changed our lives. Now we see here with this tremendous growth, they were starting to show signs of corruption that was starting to creep in and appear inside the church. And maybe that was one of the main reasons for the book of Revelation, because God wanted to make sure the churches knew, hey, 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 I know you've been growing. Things are exploding. People are coming to, 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 to salvation and, and Jesus Christ. And, and all these other attacks are coming. The Judaizers and all these other false teachers are creeping in. And it's starting to show that the people on the outside of the church is starting to affect the people on the inside of the church. There's always a warning for you and I. You become who you associate with. And when you go out and you hang around... If you're out there to evangelize, you're out there and have a, something to eat with them, you're spending some time with them because you're trying to share the gospel with them, you're trying to get, let, let them understand the love of Jesus and you're doing that, that is what we're called to do. But when they start affecting you, you need to cut that off. Because that's what happens. If you hang around and you act and want to blend in with the world, the world will cause you to become like the world again. That is not a, that's not an if. It's only when. If you're not strong enough, you need to get into the word, you need to get closer to God because you need to be strong enough and empowered by the Holy Spirit to evangelize and let you affect positively th those you're fellowshipping, you're working with, your neighborhoods. You need to positively affect them for Christ. 
You need to grow. Versus them being affecting you and pulling you back into the old, the old, the old ways. Now, Ephesus is the only church of the seven noted in the book of Acts. We also know that there are only two apostles that talked about the Ephesians in Ephesus, and that was Paul 35 years earlier. And now we see Jesus personally giving the word of God to the apostle John to write down to speak to the same church. Very unique. It's, the, the book is very unique in this perspective because it's literally Jesus giving the words to John directly. The other letters were always through another messenger, another way. But here, here Jesus is actually giving the words directly to the Apostle John. We should take note of that. Your, your Bible should, if you have a red letter Bible, that should all be read in that, that one column or whatever. Jesus is literally speaking to John to say, I'm dictating. Just start writing, John, and I'm going to dictate this to you. Isn't that amazing? Here's John, the John who's the apostle of love, the one who was so close. He was one of the three that was just so close. He was the one at the very end of the upper summer laying on Jesus' chest, having a meal together and laughing. and And God is literally telling John word for word what to write. Now, why would that be a possible shock to John as he's writing these things? Can you imagine? You're sitting here, okay, I'm ready to write. What do you want to tell me? And someone starts telling you these things, and you're writing, and you're, you're thinking, and you're writing. And all of a sudden, they get to some subjects like, like you, you perk up because now they're starting to talk about things that are really sensitive to you. And you're writing down sensitive information that actually is affecting you. And you're like, you can picture John look going, what, 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 really? Because here's what you know. If you know of the scriptures, John was in very involved in the church of Ephesus. Many believe that even historically, not only was he spending time there, but after coming off the, the island of Patmos, that is where he went and finished out his life. And he's sitting there writing down of a church that he loved and he ministered and he pastored for, I believe, 30 years. And now he's hearing right directly from the, the mouth of Jesus, John, this church has so many great things. And then as we will see at the very end of this, verse 6, he tells them, nevertheless, can you imagine the shock of John? Can you imagine the shock of John to hear that the church that he pastored started walking away from the love of Christ? Whoo, I don't know about you. The Lord took me out of here for some reason, and I heard back after so many years that what I believe is just such a loving fellowship, all of a sudden they stop walking with Jesus and loving Jesus, and they're just a big show, party house, everything goes, leave, you know, you can just live out of your life and God's going to accept you, kind of, you know, prosperity doctor moving in, all that junk. That would grieve me to no end. It would grieve me to no end. So John here, we see in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, he starts off here. Jesus says to him, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write. Now we'll pause right here because there's a lot of questions of what is the, who is the angel? 
right? So the angel, or anglios, is the word here, meaning messenger as well. As discussed, we discussed in chapter 1, verse 20, this is the angel, I believe, is a human, a, the pastor, actually, of that church of Ephesus. Some say it's an angel itself looking on the outward workings of the church at Ephesus. It was overseeing it. But in some way, this angel or slash messenger represents this church because he's getting, they're getting this, this postcard, this letter to, to read to all the believers at that area. And so they're very involved here, but the letter isn't written just to the representative, but to the whole church body here in Ephesus. It's labeled the Church of Ephesus. And anyone who was belonging to the Church of Christ in that church of Ephesus was this letter was for. Now, you know where I stand. I believe this is a pastor. I believe it's one God has appointed as a shepherd over this body to make sure they're fed. They're taken care of. They're protected. They're encouraged. They're all these things. That's a pastor's responsibility that God has called them to do. He doesn't get to choose that. God chooses them to do that at a particular place. Why I don't believe it's an angel is because angels cannot repent. And two of the letters, there's two rebukes that says you must repent. Angels can't repent. And also why... John doesn't need to send, a, send mail to an angel. The angel knows what's going on. He doesn't need to get the postcard, the letter to know what's going on. So I keep it really simple. I can say, no, this is, this is definitely a pastor. This is definitely the leader overseeing that church and who's going to be held responsible for those people. And so as we take a look at this, remember, it was before the days of church buildings they had to meet in homes. They were meeting in halls. They were meeting wherever they could and gathered together whenever they could. There was no one grand first church of Ephesus in downtown square. There was not one big church growing and growing and growing and growing to, to house everyone. They didn't have that capability. They didn't have those resources. Perhaps there was Hundreds of congregations of gathering, just finding opportunities and gathering together and when the weather's good and all those kind of things, to be able to come together as a church. But we see here in Ephesus, this, this, this town, this city, this famous city, this ancient world city, with an equal famous church as we see, Paul ministered to the Ephesians for three years. We see that in Acts chapter 19 and 20. Aquila and Priscilla with Apollos was there in chapter 18. We see in Acts, they're ministering. Paul, close associate, Timothy, like a son, after he moved on, Timothy came in and ministered here in the work of Ephesus. Ephesus was a great city. It was a world famous. It was religious, cultural, economic center of religion. It was a population, some said 250,000, some say 500,000. I don't know, it was a very large city at that point in time. Had all the resources, 
all the social gatherings and all the entertainment and all the wealth and all the probably the cafes and all the, the things that the world offers to, 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 to minister to the flesh. Especially Ephesus was notable of the temple of Artemis. Artemis is the Greek name for this place. Some refer to it as the Temple of Diana, which is the Roman name of the same place. It's a they worship the fertility godness, a godness, yeah, godness, who worshipped in with immoral sex. They had prostitutes there that would come out and be part of their worship experience. This Temple of Diana in Ephesus was regarded as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. If you ever did a historical search, Google search, you'll notice it was supported by 127 pillars, each pillar 60 feet tall. And it was adorned with great sculptures and everything else, all of the Greek culture, Roman culture. All that was just embodied into this place. It was a magnificent building, but it was very dark. could be a beautiful building, but inside it could be very dark. And that place was. The Temple of Artemis was also a major treasury and bank of the ancient world. This place was so prominent for the form of worship that all the merchants coming in, because it was the main highway, it was halfway between Jer Jerusalem and Rome. It was all a major thoroughfare here. All the waterways, all the movements, all the products, goods, and services, all moving, centered in this place. And because of that, they needed to protect their money. They said this temple could be the place to be the treasure, the bank. And that's where the merchants, kings, and the city deposited their money to safekeeping, to protect, be protected by the deity of the gods that they served. Revelation and the Chapter 2, end of verse 1 here says, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. So here we see the description of Jesus taken from chapter 1. As he stands in the midst of the churches, the lampstands, he is right there in control. It's the emphasis of the authority of Jesus in the church. He holds the seven stars. These messengers, these, and to me as a pastor, and if it's speaking of a pastor, of these, this angel, it, it's very comforting to me to know that I'm in the hand of God. That he's in control over my life and I allow him to be in control of my life, to be able to be used by him to minister to his people. So I'm going to hold on to the fact that he's speaking to pastors. Because I want to be in the hands of God. I want to be in, under the authority of God. I want to be in control by God. But he says here, he holds you. Who holds these leaders, these people who are responsible to oversee his people, to make sure his churches are staying focused upon Jesus. Who's right in the midst of it all. 
The ancient Greek word here for hold is katrin, which means an emphatic or complete word. It means it just, there's nothing, it's secure. There's nothing can get to take you out of the hand. He's got such a grip, he's not letting you go. And the churches belong to Jesus. They don't belong to the leaders of the churches or to the people of the churches. He holds them. So I'm always reminding of people who want to inspire, in some reason, for some crazy reason, inspire to somehow be in charge or some leader within a church. You're out of your mind. Because of the, you're under the authority of the hand of God and you will be held responsible. More responsible than those who are not. But people look at it as a job. To climb the corporate ladder within the... It might probably be easier than the corporate world. Are you kidding me? It just tells me you do not know what you speak. <laughs> Come spend some time with me. We, we help you. Bring clarity. Verse 2 and 3. I know your works. He, you know, he's getting more specific. Jesus is saying... I know your works, I, I, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. That's good. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. That is good. And have found them liars. You're calling them out. Verse 3, and you have preserved and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. You, whatever you're doing in there in that church is because you're doing it for me. You're not doing it because the leaders tell you. You're not looking for it to get your name in lights. You're not looking for anything to, to, for it's a job or get paid. No, no, you're doing it because you do it because of your love. Because of Jesus and who he is. That's a good thing. That's a great thing. See, he says, Jesus looked at this, this church as Ephesus, and he says he, he knew their condition. It was not a mystery to him. There was only one, oh, wait, wait a minute, I haven't been back in a couple of few years to check on you. I wonder, what, I wonder how you guys are doing. No, Jesus knows every moment, every time what's going on in this church. There may be sin or corruption hidden in the congregation. There's a pot potential risk of that. Potential risk. But when you look at this, as you take a look at this, he says there might be some hidden, hidden corruption and sin in the congregation. For us, we cannot see it. But it is not hidden from Jesus. You might think you're getting away with it, but Jesus knows you're still in it. He would say the same thing to us today as individuals and as a congregation. I know your works. I know you're working hard. I know what you're doing. I know how hard you're doing it. And you're willing to do it because of your relationship and connection with Jesus. Make sure it's, your work is in the right motivation. It's got to be with the right heart. 
And I know your labor. I know you're sweating. I know it's what work requires labor, sacrifice. That is what it's about. Some people are like, oh, let me do some things for Jesus, but don't let me make sure I, I don't want to sacrifice. I don't want to sweat in this deal. I want it nice and easy. I'm just trying to do a checkoff box to say I, I need to earn my love for Jesus, so I need to check and go do something. No, no, my brothers and sisters, that's not how we that's not why we do it. We don't check the box so that we can somehow earn Jesus' love. He already loves you. He just wants you to respond to that love by loving him back and just being obedient to what he's called you to do and leading you to do and putting the desires in the heart to do so that he gets all the glory and honor and then you get... Yes, you'll be rewarded in heaven. Yes, you'll be blessed now. But it will take labor. It'll take work. It'll be sweat. It will not be convenient. As a matter of fact, he'll test you to make sure you are. Will you really do this for me? Will you really do this with, for me? Or are you only going to do it because it's convenient? You're only because you got your name recognized. Or that somehow you get it. No, no, no. As you mature and grow, you realize you want to take no glory from God. You want, you want nothing. You just want to just serve your Lord because of the love that you have for him. That's it. Why do you show up when you don't feel like it? Because you love him more than your feelings. Do you want to know why you change and why you want to serve him and why you want to give to him and why you want to just sacrifice your Saturdays and sacrifice in the middle of the week and, and make, take that phone call from a brother one more time because he's really struggling and you're like, it's really inconvenient. It's dinner time. I don't really want to talk to him because my supper is more important. It's going to get cold. No, no, no. You sit there and go, I, God, you're, for a reason, you're having that sister call me. You're, you're having that brother call me, and I'm willing to sacrifice. I can warm up my supper. Who cares? I'm going to take the call because they might be right on the edge of making a really bad decision. And, Lord, if you've call, put on their heart to call me, how can I sit there and say, I'm not going to take the call? Yes, it's going to take work. Yes, it's going to take labor. Yes, it's going to take patience. It's hupomone is the Greek word for patience. It's an ancient Greek word here. It means steadfast endurance. It's not a small little tiny sprint. This is steadfast endurance to live a life for Christ. But he empowers you to do it. If you allow him to be the one that's empowering you to do it. You will never make it if you do it on your own strength and your own knowledge and understanding. You'll never make it. Long term, you're going to struggle in your walk. And he notes here one of the best things. He says, and you cannot bear those who are evil. See, the Ephesian church pers pursued doctrinal purity. They stayed focused on the word of God. They didn't want things outside the word of God. And these philosophies of religious people and, and these other little uh, enlightenments and in revelations that you get from all these other people. I've had time with God on the mountaintop and I received from all these crazy things. Stick with the word of God. They did. They actually were pure. Why? Because in Ephesians, if you remember, in Acts chapter 20, verses 29 through 31, it says, For I know this. Paul warned the Ephesians. I know this. 
that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Just, just analyzing, just, just meditating on just those scriptures. You see a Paul who has devoted his life to serving God, and he, day and night, it wasn't like, oh, I only pray for you on just a certain hour, on a Sunday, and that's the only time I'm praying. No, Paul says I'm praying day and night for you. With tears. It's moving him of the fact that he knows without a question God has revealed to him that these savage wolves people are going to come in. And they're best friends. They're good friends. They're Christians. They're best friends. And they're enticing you to go to their other church or going to watch this person online and go to this. Watch out for those things. They might have, don't even know they're blinded to the fact of the false teachings that they're gripped with. Test all things, my brothers and sisters. If it goes beyond the word of God or twisting out of the context of the word of God, you've got to cut that off and call them out on it. I love you, brother, but you are down and got caught up in the false teaching. Don't ever send me that again. No, I am never going back to that place. Even as friends, I'm not going back to that church. I'm not going to influence that church. I can influence you to come to my church. I know the word of God is going to be taught verse by verse. But I'm not going to be enticed to go walk because we're friends and I'm looking for social time. And I need to go. I'll go anywhere for social time. Be very careful when you're desperate for social time because you can get led into very bad social situations. Test all things, my brothers and sisters. Be very careful. Because Paul was warning them. They're going to, these savage wolves, these are savage. Their design is to destroy you. To divert you away from Jesus and into religiosity. At best, if not back into really back into the world. And you can say you can live however you want to live. And that's what was happening here. See, the today's the church today, like the Ephesian church then, was was really tested. They really tested any of the messengers that were being coming in and trying to come in to try to to, to, to Peddle their books or peddle their, their, little, their little things on, online in these things. They're always pushing and sending you and they're following you and they just because they can find the algorithms and they find you and they sell your stuff, emails. It's incredible what they can do today. And today, in those days, they literally had to physically show up. Today, we, we, they don't have to show up. They just get in however they want to through your media, social media. Understand the greater the evil, the more deceptive this cloak they wear. Very deceptive. See, after the combination of Jesus, the, the positive, the, the encouragement here, Paul's warning seriously of this church, be careful, this is, this is what's going to happen. And that church faithfully served God for more than 40 years. Forty years they faithfully stayed focused on Jesus. And then we will see the warning here by Jesus. See, because evidently these men who 
weave their way into your lives and the churches. Claim to know Christ. To have personally received authority from Jesus for their teachings and their, this, this revelation that they received. And their efforts is to justify, as the warning has, it's okay to live immorally and still have the cloak of, uh, you have liberty, brother. You have liberty, sister. You can live however you want to because Jesus is going to love you. Jesus loved you while you were sinners. He still loves you even when you pretend to be a Christian. He loves you when you do become a Christian. Then you go back into carnality and go back into the world. He hasn't changed his love for you. That's finished. It's finished on the cross. He paid for your sins. Don't forget these things. But what you need to understand is these people will come in and then perversely try to bring you into the perverse of worship and the Christian faith. And we've seen real life things going across the news cycles of many very well-known churches that were filled with perversity. In the lives of the leaders all the way down into the churches. So don't think it can't happen. We must fight as this church did. They called it out. They did not allow that to happen. And they had patience. They had steadfast patience to a point. Notice here at the very end, he says, and have not become weary. They didn't become weary because they were just so focused. They did not become weary doing what God wanted them to do to help those uh, in the church body. But this is where he comes with the rebuke. And this is a very strong word in scripture. Nevertheless. Everything changes on this word. Nevertheless. I have this against you. That you have left your first love. Oh, my brothers and sisters. I hope you wake up now. Take note. Tap the person to the left or right if they seem sluggish. Here we go. This is the warning. And again, I'm speaking to myself. Jesus used a very sobering, very alerting word here. The word nevertheless means despite all of that. Despite all the good things I just told you you were doing for me in that church. In your life, all of it is incredible. Gold stars everywhere. But despite all that, there's one thing that wipes out everything I just told you. Nevertheless, you have left your first love. Despite all that, I have something against you. You walked away from me. Yeah, you still say I'm a Christian. Yes, you know Jesus' name. You know about him. And you, you, and you can talk about the past and everything you did for Jesus in the past. But you've drifted away. You've walked away. Nevertheless, the state that, of your spiritual state that you're in right now, there's no love. There's no love for me. There's, no, there's not even love for my people. 
Because if when you walk away from him vertically, it's a vertical issue here. If you're not right with God and you're not loving him, it will affect all your relationships horizontally. That's how important it is and how critical it is. We cannot walk away from our first love, our love for Jesus. Despite all the good in the Ephesian church, there's something seriously wrong. Notice the word he uses here. They have left. They did not lose. They left, not lost, their first love. They, they once had a love that they, 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 they just had such a love in people who saw them. like, what is going on with your life? I found Jesus. I love Jesus. You won't believe what he's done. He's changed me. And you will talk about Jesus to anybody. You didn't lose the love. You left the love. You can't blame anybody. You could try to blame everybody. We all kind of a tendency to shift blame to find, oh, it's because of my parents or because of this or my spouse or my kids or my, the leaders of the church and all. You can find all the reason you want to find them. That's just part of the division. It's part of what Satan's working in your life. It's darkness. You have to own it. I have to own it. I left. I left. That's what he's emphasizing here. The, the distinction between leaving and losing is important because something can be lost by accident. By leaving is a deliberate act of walking away through. It may happen suddenly or over a period of time. But when we lose something, we don't know where to find it. But when we leave something, we know exactly where to come back and find it. And so Jesus telling John here, though they have left their first love, everything looked great on the outside of this church. This is the most picture-perfect church on the outside. If you would have attended a service at the church of Ephesus, you might have thought, oh, what? this is an incredible church. Look at the structure, look at the place, look at, oh, this is incredible. They're choreographed services, the programs are everywhere, they have programs every night, and everything for everybody at every age, and they have all these programs, and social this, and social that. Oh, you could have all kinds of things going on in that church. They were a picture-perfect laboring and working and serving and we must serve God we must labor for God these were all good things everyone on the outside said this is a great church you got to go to the church it's amazing what's going on at the church but Lord have mercy on us questions when you walk in is there something weird and vague and something where you can't put your finger on it Most people don't say, do I sense God's love in the place? In the God's people? That's the question. Because what happens is, and the warning in the structure is what Ephesus tells us here. The problem was very serious. Without love, all is vain. No wonder Jesus said, nevertheless, I have this against you. Spurgeon says a church has no reason for being a church when she has no love within her heart or when that 
love grows cold. Lose love, lose all. You can have all the infrastructure, all the things, all the bells and whistles, all the finer things, and you can have all the things that feed the flesh to cause people to want to come and have the comforts even within the church. And you don't have to do anything. You can just sit there and be still, and we'll pay other people to do everything to keep this infrastructure going, this organization. We're very organized. You just come, sit, don't forget to leave your money. And we'll take care of you. You don't have to do a thing. We'll just pay for someone to take care of it for you so you can relax and rest. That's not what the scripture says. When you're in love with Jesus, he puts desires in your heart to serve him in incredible ways and empowers you to do it, to do incredible things. If you desire to serve God. <laughs> you'll grow. You'll get there. You're gonna, you'll grow. That's what I just said. Keep showing regardless of what you feel. Eventually, you're going to desire to serve your Lord in these buildings, but also outside this building especially. Because we're equipping you up to go out and evangelize. Go out and disciple. Go out and reach the lost. Go out those who are pain and suffering and say, I know you're sick. I know you're hurt. you got broken things and broken lives. Come. There's a place for you to heal. And let me tell you the great physician's name who will heal you. So they had everything going on. What they don't have is they, you've left the first love. What love were they talking about? Well, we were told to love God and to love one another. Did they leave their love for God? Did they leave their love for one another? Probably both. Why? Because it's a vertical. Because if you lose, leave one or the other, it's going to affect the other. Because you cannot sit there and say you love God and hate God's people. It's hypocrisy. And you can't sit there and say I, the opposite and say, I love the people. You cannot really love them in a way that God wants you to love them in this unconditional love without the power and the relationship with God. You will not be able to love your wife or your husband, your kids, to the depths and the love that God has designed for you to love them. So just being saying you're a Christian, you know the word, even Satan knows the word. That doesn't make you better. It just makes you more accountable. And just so you, as you look at this, you see you don't want to live, right? The Ephesian church was a working church. Something that focused on working for Jesus. It was the clips to close this, this close relationship with him. We can put what we do for Jesus before who we are in him. So that's very important. We never lose focus doing for God what you're, why you're doing it for, who you're doing it for. I'd rather you sit and get to know Jesus and fall back in deeper in love with him before you do anything in this church. That's why when you come here, I want you to just sit. I want you to just make sure you're right with your relationship with God. And then watch God do something in and through your life. We don't sit there and work you, work you, work you. You may think that. Some people who are in the, you may think that. Especially the guys yesterday. They were sweating really bad. Like, but they all willingly came. I didn't force them to come. I didn't dangle anything over their heads and threaten them 
as leaders, you know, you know you're supposed to be accountable. You know, you're a member of the church. No, no, no. People just show up because they want to serve God. And they want that fellowship with one another. Not only was the Ephesian church a working church, they were also a doctrinally pure church. They never lost being very focused on the doctrines, the truths of God. But understand something. James says it. Faith without works is dead. James 2.26. He warns us. But here Jesus warns that having works without love is just as devastating. The churches and our devotion to Christ was a warning that we must take heed. And even doctrinally, you say, but, but we stay focused on the word here. This is great. That is exactly what we're supposed to do, just like Ephesians. But sometimes a focused doctrinal purity will make a congregation grow cold. They're so spiritually elitist because they know the word and they prove and they want to make sure everyone knows how much they're in the word. They become this congregation of cold, suspicious, intolerant diversity is not allowed They'll critically look at you and you walk into the place and critically look and say, let me make sure I go through the list of things to make sure you even meet up with our criteria of being able to come to our church. That can happen. And some of you have told me some of that legalism that you dealt with in your life as a Christian. And all I can tell you, I'm so glad God brought you here to understand the grace of God. And to rest here, yes, we're going to stay doctrinally pure, but we're going to make sure there is a love for Jesus with that. See, first love. There is a, a sure difference in the relationship with Jesus here. Things aren't as they used to be, Jesus said, in that church. It isn't that we expect that we should have the exact same excitement that we had when we first got brand new Christian life. But there should be a newness, there should be a depth that comes over time where there's a depth there, there's a solidness in your life because of maturity. Look what happens here in verse 5 and 6. Remember, he actually gives us a solution here. Jesus actually wants you and I as a church, as an individual, to come back to do what is right. And he gives us the remedy. He gives us, if it's speaking of your heart today. He says right here, remember therefore from where you have fallen. That's step one. Step two, repent. Step three, do the first works. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. That's the warning if you don't make a change in your life. If the church doesn't change, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be a consequence. Unless you repent, but this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So he, at the very end, he throws this very heavy, heavy warning and change in what you need. To, I'm holding you accountable here. Is what is Jesus is saying to you and I. He says, here's the solution. You need to remember where you came, have, where you have fallen. So the very first step is the restoration of this church. 
is to remember. They need to remember from where you have fallen. This means remembering where you used to be in that loving relationship with the Lord and with one another. Where were you when you first got saved and how everything was about Jesus and everybody, Jesus, anyone who called themselves a Christian, you're like, oh, wow, I met another Christian. You were so excited to have a conversation about Jesus and the relationship. Do you remember those days? Has it been that long for you? Do you remember the days when you were so excited and on fire because you, God just changed your life? When the prodigal son was in the pig pen, the first step in restoration for that young man was remembering what life was like back in his father's home. That's where it started. Oh man, do you remember the days when we first got saved? I know where I was. I know what was happening. I know what people were around me. I remember the words that were said that touched my heart. You just go back to that moment when you got saved. And the excitement for months. You couldn't put the word down. You were just gobbling. It wasn't a little devotion anymore like you do today. I read my little devotion, my little scripture, and someone else's commentary about it. No, no, you read full books. You sat down, and I read through a book of James, my favorite book, through the book of John. You just devoured books at a time when you sat down. Not a little devotion. Don't get me wrong. Everyone likes the appetizer before the meal. But don't, don't, you can't survive on just appetizer. You need to eat the meat with the full counsel of God. Daily. Very important. And so we see here, like the prodigal son, he remembered his father's home. And this is always the first step in getting back to where you need to be with the Lord in your relationship. Second step, repent. This is not a command to feel sorry about yourself? No, no, no. Or really to feel anything. It's not about a feeling at all at this moment of repent. Repent is not a feeling. It is a means to change your direction. It means I need to change and today's the day I'm turning it around and I'm walking away from what I've been doing and I'm going back to what I remember and that is back to a close relationship with Jesus. It is urgent, he's saying here, to appeal to an instant change of attitude and conduct. It's got to be before it's too late. Because there's an end to this. We need to repent. And step three, many, some people refer to it as repeat. Do the first works again. Go, repeat. Go back to what you used to do. That means they, they must go back to the basics. We go back to the reading of the Word of God. You must focus and remember how you used to spend time in the Word of God. The early church was always based upon this early works. Go back and read Acts 2.42. This church was established on that verse. Acts 2.42. That's what the new church did. That's what you as an I need to do as a, as a church body, as an individual. Remember how you spent time in God's word. Not as commentators. Not all these other. Reading the word of God. You panicked when you didn't know where your Bible was that day. Now you can go days and weeks, and then you go, oh, I can't find it. It's Sunday. It's been a week. Uh, no big deal. I'm just going to sit there and listen anyway. 
No, no, no. You, you, you know that you are in the word every day, so you know exactly where it's standing or sitting. Remember how you used to pray. Do you remember how you used to pray and now it's just, oh, for food? Yeah, maybe sometimes. I used to call out God, oh, please, too radically, just get this brain out. Give me a new brain, Lord, so I don't think the old way. Lord, just, you just used to pour out your life and talking about everything. How about remember the joy in getting together with other Christians to fellowship? How it used to just fill you. You used to, oh, it didn't matter who it is. You just wanted to meet everybody. And then all of a sudden you get cold and you scoffed away from God. Now it's like, oh, I'm going to avoid that person. I don't want to talk to that person. I'm going to go over here and only talk to the same three people every week so I don't have to, mm, I don't want anybody. No, you want a fellowship. You want to know everybody. You want to get to know them. You want to know what God can possibly use and work in their lives together because you're going to be worshiping eternity together. You didn't select people. You didn't do that in the beginning. Now you're doing it. That's just a sign that you need to come back. You've walked away the first from your first love. Oh, do you remember how you were so excited you couldn't help but tell people about Jesus? You were evangelizing. You know what God did in your life. You couldn't help. How can you, how can you not tell other people when God changed you and freed you from your sin, your bondage? How can you not tell someone else when you're staring at him at work and you're like, that was me. Let me tell you how you can be free from that bondage and that destruction of your life. How can you keep quiet? When you first got saved, you didn't. Now you do it because don't want to cause any waves. You know, it's their problem. You know, no, back to evangelism. We're called to reach the loss and disciple people. Satan does a masterful work in creating a sense of general dissatisfaction with these first works. Just know Satan's at work to just say, eh, reading the word, no big deal. Pray, eh, once in a while. Tell other people about Jesus, eh, you know, they're on their own. They have to be big boys and girls. Yeah, those are signs that Satan, darkness has creeped in. Come back to his be your first love. Come back to Jesus. Love him. Let him refresh you. But it starts about remembering where you used to be when you first got saved. It's, it's about repentance. It's about change. And go back to those first works. Go back to what you used to do and when you wanted to know everything about Jesus when you first met him. Or else... Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. Jesus gave them a very stern warning. There is a consequence if you don't change. Unless they repent, he will remove their light and his presence from them. There will be a church that will not have his presence. And the churches who are an organization who is running by programs, running based on uh, structure and all about, the, all about the organization and not the organism, the life of Christ in the people, it will come to a point where people won't even recognize the fact that Jesus has left and is not in the presence in the midst of them. 
How King David would say, oh, please don't take your presence here. You're, 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 you're away from me. Just don't, don't leave my... You'll get, for me and you as a believer, you will all of a sudden know he hasn't left you. You're sealed for eternity by the Spirit of God. But you won't sense his presence or talking to him. You, you, he doesn't talk to me anymore, Pastor. I don't sense him anymore, Pastor. I, I, I don't get what I used to get out of the Word of God, Pastor. I don't, out of fellowship, I don't even really care if I do a fellowship or not, Pastor. These things, when you say them, is a sign that you need to come back and fall back in love deeply with your Lord and Savior. Focus on his name. Focus on who he is. Focus on the promises of God that he has for you because you're a child of God. Regardless of how you feel, you're a child of God. And he loves you. He deeply, deeply loves you. And when he says, if I remove the lampstand and remove it, yes, you can continue as an organization, but no longer as a true living church of Jesus Christ. It would be like the church of Ichabod that we see in 1 Samuel 4.21. The glory had departed from that church. Oh, my brothers and sisters, we don't want the love and the presence of God to leave us. Let us, as a body of believers, stay very focused on his love. Because we see here, he brings in a commentary of, 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 of just another little Big star for them. And it's really a serious one here. He says, but this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans. Which I also hate. Woo! What does Jesus hate? People that are represented here. What, do they, what, do they, what does he hate about them? What they were doing. And how it was destroying his people, destroying his, the, the, the church body? What were they like? Who are these people? Many people will talk of what potential and have all these historians talk about. It. But let me give you a perspective. I think this is what he's speaking of here. He's saying that the Nicolaitans means destruction of people. So just that ter term alone tells you they're no good. They're no touchy. You're not, you're not going to be listening to these people. You're not going to be fellowshipping with these people because they're looking to destroy you. And how did they destroy you? It's also mentioned of the same people, once again, being condemned in Revelation chapter 2, verse 15. Because these people are creeping into the church and as false teachers are bringing in immorality and idolatry. They're bringing things back into the church that's causing people to take their eyes off of Jesus and putting them onto idolatry and putting them into the immorality of the world. So when you start seeing these things, they're not coming more than likely probably at that time, maybe some little idols. Would you like to buy an idol? Would you like to buy an idol? No, no. Today, it's just really subtle. Live like the world. Live an easy life. You don't need to sacrifice. You don't need to labor. You don't need to. You just accept Jesus, get the fire insurance, and then you live your life however you want to. That is what they're creeping in and trying to tell you to do. But if you also look at the name here, and it's it broken down here in regards to the root meaning, it's called nikio, leos, meaning literally to conquer the people. 
When I looked that up, it literally is. That, to conquer the people, that's the root name for the word Nike. It's the same word. It's to go work, you know, to, to conquer, to take over. It's that same name. So when you look historically and when you do the research, it's based on this, this point of presumption of claims of this, this apo, espito, um, uh, apostolic authority, this Gnosticism that was coming into the church. And it was that kind of, that hierarchical gathering of, 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 of structure within the church started to come into play to control the people, to actually to, to, to conquer the people, to control, the, to lord over the people. So what happens is these people would creep in and say, let me get between you and God. Hello? Jesus said, no one get between me and you. When I died on the cross, the veil of the temple was ripped from top to bottom. So you and I could freely come directly to Jesus. Directly to the Father because of Jesus. Now these leaders are coming in and say, hey, you can live wherever you want to as long as you're following us and you're following the organization, you're part of the organization. And they're going to sew up the, the veil again so that you can't go directly. You have to pass everything through us as the church leaders before you can do anything. Oh, Jesus said, I hate that. I absolutely hate anyone who gets between me and that person. Are you with me? If God hates it, we are to what? Hate it. Can I have it, my brothers and sisters? Can I have it? Look at here, verse 7. He, this is the one that is the exhortation to all seven churches. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is referring to everybody, you. Speaking to you, you and me. At least everyone who will listen. Will you listen to him? Will you listen to his word? Will you listen? This wasn't written just to the church of Ephesus. It, 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 even during the just Apostle John's day here, we're talking, it's speaking to you and I as Christians throughout the centuries. Do you want to listen? Because each one of these seven letters apply to all the churches. We must hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Not just one church, but all the churches needed to hear these teachings. What God had as he did the spiritual assessment of these churches. He wanted us to learn from them and then use that as a way to shine a light of what's my spiritual condition today. Am I someone who was on fire for Christ and loved Christ and, and was just walking and just falling in love with him and just serving him because of the love you have for him? And now you're just serving because of routine and religion and it's just because I have to and it's because it's what else am I going to do and, and I have nowhere else place to go? No, 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 no. You don't want my presence to leave. You don't want me to not be in your life empowering you because 
you're grieving the Spirit. No, no, no. We want the Spirit to come because we're wanting, we have ears to hear, we want to listen, we want the, whatever the Spirit has for us to change us by us through by the Word of God. He wants to speak to you and I. You will only have an ear to hear what the Spirit says. We must decide for ourselves and as a church body. I want to hear whatever you have for me. And when I hear it, I'm going to be obedient to it. Because at the end of verse 7, to him who overcomes, I will, give to, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Oh, <laughs> I can't wait. Can you wait? Oh, go back and read there in, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 2. Because in the first time when we saw about this tree of life was where? In Genesis 2.2, 2, 2.22, 2.25. And then the next time we see it is at the end in Revelation 22.2. Lots of twos. But we see that the tree appears once again here for us. And oh, when you go back and read that, oh, you're like, Wow. I hope you're hungry because the fruit that's going to come from that tree that we get to partake of is going to be amazing. And you're all looking going, really? You haven't read Revelation 22. Hang on. In about three years, we'll get there. But, <laughs> well, you know, if we don't get there in word, we'll be there in presence because the Lord will rapture us out of here, right? Ah. Uh. Jesus made this promise to him and to you today. You who overcomes. What does that mean? It's not like you have the energy and the power in yourself to do it. How do you overcome? By the Spirit of God. What does it mean to overcome? We usually think of overcoming in a dramatic terms. Oh, I conquered and I leaped high and just do it kind of mentality. No, 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 no. We usually think of that. But overcoming this coldness of heart and lack of love marked here by leaving our first love. We must overcome that. You must choose again to come back to Jesus and pour out your heart and to pursue him and to love him and to hear everything he has for you through his word and apply it to your life and watch the spirit. You'll be walking in the spirit and in truth. Do we not need that? Hello? We need that. I need that. The tree of life is there. It was in the Garden of Eden. And we have the promise when we get to heaven, it will be once again a Garden of Eden experience for you and me. Oh, how many people say, oh, I wish we had the Garden of Eden. Oh, wouldn't it have been awesome and great and beautiful? What would it have been like to be able to be? I say, don't forget the end of the book. Get back to the book. We're going to go back to the Garden of Eden here. The restoration, the eternal life, all of that was promised and never dying is coming back to you and I as a believer. Are you excited as much as I am? I hope you are. 
We're going to be in the midst of the paradise of God. What does that really mean? Where is that? Right where God is. Where God lives. Where God is. It will be paradise. Father, we thank you for your word.